and welcome. It's Pet Chat today. We've got Dr. Kimberly Earl. You've managed to make it in in a mad dash. Mad dash, a little bit of traffic, but that's okay. And you had a cake disaster. Oh, it's my daughter's birthday today and I am not a baker. I think it's salvageable. She's a better vet than baker though, yeah, so totally. if you've got any <laughs> questions about your pets. The Dog Lovers Show and we've got Jason Humphreys on the line. He's the founder of the Dog Lovers Show, Sarah. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you very much. Nice to be back. Oh, fantastic. Look, uh, the Dog Lovers Show is certainly a very big event uh, that is held now not only in Sydney but Melbourne and Brisbane. Uh, have I covered all the cities? Every you year? have. Yep. You just forgot our Cat Lovers Show in Melbourne in September. Oh, <laughs> and now there's a Cat Lovers Show. That's right. <laughs> there is. Uh, so what I wanted to talk to you about today was just about the Sydney show, being that Newcastle's very close to Sydney, and if anyone wanted to mm -hmm. attend, what they can expect to see. But can you tell us what the Dog Lovers show is? Sure. Look, it's, it's, it's probably one of the, the greatest festivals in the world now, dedicated to dogs and the humans who love them. So it celebrates everything that's cool about dogs. So um, it's, uh, it's nothing like a best-in show. Um, uh, dog lovers come along to learn more about their dogs and what makes them tick. Um, and there's about 20 interactive canine-inspired attractions at the show that people can get involved with. So it's very much a festival environment. There's, there's a huge arena where we have back-to-back uh, -back dog shows. We've got a thing called the Common Wolf Games this year where, where, <laughs> where dogs That's are competing cute. from four countries around the world for medals. Um, so everything from hurdle to high jump to to even discus throw. So there's some amazing stuff going on in the arena this year. Um, then you've got the pet circle stage where where the, you've got uh, educational seminars. So um, uh, people like Dr. Chris Brown, Dr. Katrina Warren, um, some of Australia's leading celebrity vets are getting up there um, mm. with tips on how to make your dog healthier and happier. So. Okay. Um, the list goes on, but uh, probably the, the star of the show are the dogs. There's over there's over 500 beautiful dogs of all shapes and sizes and breeds, so people can come and get their fur fix over the weekend. Because you also have uh, breed displays, don't you? We've got about there's about 120 breeds represented at the show. So wow. and, and they're across all elements of it. So you've got Patapooch, where we've got about 200 dogs just on continual rotation. People can just hang out and bean bags. So and hang on, you've got Patapooch. Do, do you get a kiss a pooch as well? Uh, yes, yes, you can kiss them. Smell the uh, schnauzer. Well. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you don't mind a bit of slop, but, uh, <laughs> that's fine. But, uh, <laughs> They're very friendly dogs. They're, they're dogs that do love humans, and they're and they're they're well versed to um, their adoring crowds. So uh, it's not a problem. But there's all the breed, all the breed clubs are there as well. There's about forty or fifty breed clubs. Mm. You've got all the rescue uh, shelters there and pounds from around New South Wales. So there's there's dozens of rescue dogs there looking for a forever home. Oh, that's yeah. great. And um, most exhibitors have got dogs. There's dogs everywhere. It's crazy. So. Um, uh, and you've also got uh, exhibitors uh, to deal with nutrition too. Well, I think um, you know dog owners are, are a lot more um, interested in what they're putting, um, yeah. what they're feeding their dog. So um, we we have about two hundred exhibitors, and a lot of them have, have got some wonderful um, food offerings mm. um, and, and treats as well. Um, a lot of um, natural and organic um, products are coming onto the market, so a lot of them are exhibiting at the show. So it's a great. Um, way to sort of get in touch with those new products. Where is it held and when? 
It's being held in Moore Park, so the Royal Hall of Industries and the Horden Pavilion, and we take the whole outdoor space as well. We've got sheepdog trials outside. We've got dogs jumping into a 100,000-litre pool off a raised dock because there's a huge outdoor area with food trucks as well. So um, heaps of parking there uh, on site. There's also public transport options as well. But all the all the information's on the website. It's on Saturday and Sunday from 9.30 to 5. Two-day event. And while I've got you, that's the dog show, but something new now, the cat show. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> well, the, the, the cat community was has been up in arms for five years saying, well, where's our show? So yeah. due to popular demand, we thought we'd do the same thing. So it's the, Australia's first fantastic feline-focused festival. Oh. Um, and it's going to be running Melbourne on the 8th and 9th. And if it works well in Melbourne, which we're sure it will, it's getting a huge buzz down here, then we're definitely going to bring it to Sydney. So, and um, it's along we'll the same it. format. There'll be lots of cats to see and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we've got about uh, 25, 30 cat breeds. There's not as many cat breeds as there are dogs, but mm. um, all the breeds are going to be there. There's, there's Pat-a-Cat. Um, we've got um, a great lineup. Dr. Harry and Catman 2 is coming down from, from <laughs> Queensland. He's got a million followers on, on Instagram wow. and social media with his two cats that have broken the world record mm. for skateboarding. They're coming down. Sounds like you've got a lot on and it sounds really interesting. Thank, so that yes, is happening thank this you weekend. For that. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. I had another idea. Why didn't he do uh, Tongue of Terrier? <laughs> hey, that could be another one. So you much just happening. Were, you just couldn't wait till you got that one out. And we are talking Dental Health Month and how crucial it is to check and make sure that your dog's dental hygiene is up to scratch. Isn't that right, Dr. Kimberly? Earl? Dog and cat and rabbit and any any companion pet really um, needs to have regular dental maintenance, just like you and I do. And the Dental um, Health Month is a, a national initiative, initially started by the Australian Veterinary Association. I think it's pretty widely taken up now across Australia um, where we really want to just focus on you know something that people often overlook as not necessarily being a medical problem mm. um, people are very willing to accept that doggy breath and stinky mouths is just a normal part of having a pet but actually most of the mouths that we see are, are really high percentage of them have actual disease in the mouth and we really need to think about it as a disease that can impact the health of your pet not just in the mouth although we know that um, dental health disease or dental disease causes a lot of pain in the mouth of pets but also it can affect their other organs their kidneys their heart they can get blood poisoning um, lots of issues from it so Kimberly I've heard a lot of people say because obviously there's advice to brush your dog's teeth yep. and I think um, a lot of people think you know that's just not realistic and that's too hard it so is, if yeah. we're not going to brush our dog's teeth what can we be doing yeah so that is absolutely the recommendation um, it doesn't work for every dog because some dogs just won't tolerate it some cats just won't tolerate it mm. um, but we always encourage our new puppy owners to start um, you know puppies are really f they, they like to chew on things and have things in their mouth so if we start early getting them used to having a little toothbrush with a pet safe toothpaste um, in and get them used to that then it really sets them up for life Lots of people haven't done that and the dogs won't tolerate it or the pet won't tolerate it. Um, so there are other things that we can do, but nothing is going to, to be as good as brushing your dog's teeth um, or your pet's teeth, okay? So there are some in-water additives that you can use. There are some sprays and gels. They can be helpful, but realistically, if you've already got dental disease, if you've already got plaque, tartar, calculus, periodontal disease where the gums are receding and the, and the roots of the teeth are becoming exposed, um, that's a medical disease. 
that needs to be treated appropriately by a veterinarian. Um, it isn't really something we should overlook. Certainly, um, you know, people always say to me, well, my dog's still eating. It can't be really a problem. He's still eating. Um, but what happens if you stop eating? If you stop eating, you die. So they don't stop eating until the pain in the mouth is so bad that they would rather die. And if you can imagine, that's pretty bad. That's pretty horrible to sort of think that your pet's going through life not wanting to, to um, use their mouth appropriately because of the pain. We know in humans that dental pain is really excruciating. My husband, a number of years ago, we were on a camping trip and he got a, woke up in the morning, spontaneously had a toothache, and he's a pretty stoic fella, but um, we had to find a dentist that morning because he, he was in agony. Wow. So what are some of the signs, aside from the, the doggy breath mm. and, um, you know, the, the visible signs visible. on the teeth? Yeah, sure. So um, doggy breath is a big one, really nasty smelling breath if you lift up the lip of your gum of your dog's gums and you can see teeth that are brown or gray if you can see red lines of the gums the gingivitis we call it um, that's going to be an indication that you've got some dental disease there um, if you've got wiggly teeth or if you think that your dog's losing teeth so some people will come to me and say oh this tooth fell out it was on the carpet and I didn't realize and when we look at the dog's mouth the, the teeth are literally dropping out of their rotting out oh, of the dog's mouth so um, it's a really you know it's something that I think because people don't lift up the dog's gums and, and or lips very often to look at the gums and look at the teeth it is overlooked you know fairly frequently so Kimberly can we bring our pets in to get their <clears throat> teeth cleaned at the Absolutely. vets do, and, do and they need to be anesthetized for that they do need to be anesthetized and certainly in Australia we are starting to see a plethora of um, people coming in, you know, lay people and, and uh, coming in and recommending anesthesia-free dentistry. Um, every expert, every veterinarian in the world will tell you that anesthesia-free dentistry is not the same as a proper dental exam um, under anesthesia where we can do x-rays, where we can do gingival probing, where we can do extractions, things like that. Treating the tooth surface that you see is only treating about 40% of the tooth. So the rest of the tooth is under the gums in the bone and we really need to be addressing that because that's where a lot of our problems are starting so we get abscesses at the root of the tooth and the disease moves outwards so is that safe for us to do for our elderly dogs we do elderly dogs anesthesias um, and dentals all the time okay. they, are, they are usually the patients that, um, that need, you know, it. need it yeah but you know my my theory my practice would really recommend start early and it's much better for the pet if we do three or four small short anesthesias to clean up their teeth through the pet's life rather than waiting until they're 10 or 12 or 13 years of age and then doing a big one where we're pulling out loads of teeth. So in this day and age, we would recommend prophylactic dental cleanings just the way we do. I mean, the recommendations for human is to go to your dentist twice a year and have mm. your teeth cleaned. Now, we're not necessarily recommending that, although we do have some patients that come in regularly once a year for a teeth cleaning because they just don't have very good uh, innate dental health. Their, their own innate you know, hygiene, their ability to keep their teeth clean um, you know, from their saliva characteristics and things like that is not very good. And so those pets will come in, they'll have a short anesthesia where we clean up the teeth, we keep the teeth healthy so we're actually dealing with the issue before it becomes a disease okay mm -hmm. once we've got periodontal disease so that's disease of the tissues around the gums and the teeth and the bones once there's disease there we never cure it unless we pull out all the teeth and then 
then we can cure it. But that's not our goal. Our goal is to keep our pets with as many teeth in their mouth as we can. So once we have disease there, we can only manage it for the rest of the pet's life. But if we get in and do our dental scale and polishes and our cleanings before we have disease, when we just have tartar and plaque on the teeth, then we can take them back to square one and we're preventing that disease from happening. So Kimberly, if I was to start brushing my dog's teeth, can mm-hmm. I just whip down to Mount Hutton and grab um, any old toothbrush or do I we need to get... We can in my practice, so I imagine you can down there too. So any toothbrush will be okay. fine. Use a soft toothbrush and usually you're going to use a small toothbrush. They do make pet specific ones. I'm not convinced they're that much better than anything else, okay. but it's, they're, they're available and they come in different sizes. So there's some that have very little heads for little dogs and that can be helpful. What we do use a lot of is finger toothbrushes. These are like a rubber thimble you put over your finger and they've got some oh. little bristles on them. Those can be really helpful that's for our small idea. breed dogs and for our cats and things. Um, and that's a really useful sort of tool to use. It's really important you use a pet-friendly toothpaste, okay? We're not giving these guys human toothpaste. A, they don't like the minty flavor, but also um, there's too much fluoride in it for them because we're not asking these guys to spit so they're swallowing it we don't want them ingesting the fluoride and getting fluoride toxicity so pet friendly toothpaste is really important for some of our cats we'll just take a um a coarse face washer um with some warm water and you can even just do that and use the coarse face washer and just try to rub the outside of the gums um and try to keep some of the you know you're just trying to take off some of the the physical stuff that's there but again if you've got really bad plaque and tartar and calculus in, in a dog and cat's mouth the plaque becomes very calcified and firm um, and toothbrushing is not going to take that off so you're better off to get the teeth professionally cleaned by a veterinarian and then maintain, and then maintain it and that makes a big difference yeah. so for someone that hasn't been doing any of that mm-hmm. not naming names um, <laughs> the first thing to do would be to go home I guess check our yep. pet's mouth yep. um, see <laughs> how bad it is yeah. and then go from there either make the, the vet appointment to yep. get the professional clean yeah. or at least start brushing That's ourselves. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's no harm ever in starting brushing. Um, you will probably find that um, most dogs tolerate it relatively well. Every day is best, but, you know, when, when my dog was around, I was trying to do hers about every, three times a week, and I, I could certainly tell the difference, you know, in terms of doggy breath, um, even that I'm makes a big difference. That. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, during Dental Health Month, a lot of vet hospitals will have... Um, uh, you know, nurses doing dental health checks so that you can, you know, book an appointment with a nurse maybe and go and have the teeth assessed. The nurse can give you an idea of um, cost to get the dental cleaning done. And some dogs, will, like I said, will already be coming to us with disease. So it's not necessarily just as super straightforward as clean the teeth, send them home. We may need to deal with some of those diseased teeth, pull some teeth out, um, those sorts of things. Um, but, you know, definitely call your local vet and see if they've got um, what they're doing with Dental Health Month, how, how many dentals they're taking a day. Our practice usually caps it at three because it can be quite a long process um, okay. if you do have a diseased mouth. If we've got a scale and polish, it's a relatively simple procedure. It's quick, but um, some of them can be fairly big procedures. Now, Kimberly, it is time to have a look at our dog of the week. And we've got Luna today. Now, she's a one-year-old boxer cross, and apparently she's absolutely beautiful. She's playful and she's very loving. Uh, she enjoys being around humans and loves to play and a gentle wrestle because she looks like quite a big girl, She does look she? like a big dog, yeah. Mm, she does. Um, she has basic training and she'll sit nicely and take treats and she shakes hands. She is house trained but loves to be outside. She rarely barks and she does sleep inside at night. Uh, she's a young, active dog and can be boisterous at times, so she would be suited with a family with older children who could play with her. Um, now, she'd be fine with other dogs around her size but probably not smaller dogs or cats because mm. she probably is just too big for that. 
Uh, she's a good girl with lots of love to give and should be suited to anyone who would love her back and spend some time with her walking, playing, etc. Now, if you're in the market uh, for a dog and you're interested in Luna, you can find out more about her by heading to our website, 2NURFM.com. Click on more and then our dog of the week. But we've got a little video of her playing too. She does look like a bit of a schmoozer. Mm, There's one of her cute. sitting on someone's lap and she is a bit cute. She's young. She'll be boisterous, so she probably needs a fairly active family, but she looks lovely. Yeah, she does. So check out Luna if you're interested. Now, Kimberly, last week on Facebook, I was just looking through the feed, as you do, and one of my friends has popped up there, um, help my dogs unwell. We were walking today, and for the first time ever, my son had to carry her home. German Shepherd, I think, mm-hmm. her, her dog is. Yep. Um, then she was on the lounge, and she was breathing heavily. She had no energy, and she was sort of asking what to do, and everyone was there going, um, take her to the vet now. Yep. And she said, I've checked her for ticks and it's not a tick. Yep. Turns out it was a tick. It was a tick, yeah. Yes. So it sounds like classic tick paralysis. So remember we have these nasty Ixodes holocyclus type ticks in Australia um, that cause a paralysis type syndrome. Um, what we classically see would be a dog who starts to have some difficulty walking. Um, they sometimes just get a little bit of hind end weakness or they might be um, walking like they're a little bit drunk or their feet are slipping out from underneath them a bit or they're dragging. Um, and then often panting or a funny breathing pattern so lots of people report that their dogs haven't done any exercise but they can't seem to get their breath they're just panting panting um, and so those are the signs um, that we would classically you know think of as as tick paralysis so the the tick toxin actually causes muscular paralysis or neuromuscular paralysis so obviously the the legs become weak and it usually starts on the back legs and moves itself forward mm. the breathing issue comes because the diaphragm which is a muscular separation between our um, abdominal cavity and our chest cavity is also under neuromuscular control and so that diaphragm starts to become paralyzed and the dogs start to have difficulty actually taking in a big um, chest excursion so they can't breathe as well so they get respiratory paralysis which is one of the things that ultimately kills a lot of these dogs if they're not seen to and treated appropriately. Kimberly, how critical is the non-giving of water? I had a situation mm-hmm. where um, I wasn't sure whether Gizmo had a tick or was really yeah. hot. I know that sounds yeah. silly, but, you know, his legs were going, he was panting, but I was too scared to give him a drink of water in yeah. case it was tick paralysis. Can that kill them or is that just a, so if you're very issue, unlucky? No, so the issue is that um, a, one of the paralysis syndromes we see is a laryngeal paralysis, so that's the larynx that guards your airway. That's the, the separation between your airway, your trachea, and your esophagus which goes down into your stomach. And so a lot of these dogs will start to lose control of that area, which means that they can't control whether food and fluids is going into their stomach or if it's going to be inhaled into their lungs. And so aspiration pneumonia, where something gets sucked into the lungs, is really common and certainly can um, lead to death. So, I mean, if your dog's been out, it's a hot day, or they've been exercising, I would certainly not, you know, not let a dog who's not panting or who's panting not drink. But if they're starting to show funny signs um, or if you think that, well, I haven't been doing anything, why are we panting? Then start to have a think about whether or not it could be tick paralysis. And then we would recommend withholding water and getting up to your vet really, you know, fairly quickly. We don't want these dogs to be sitting for two days with no water. They'll get dehydrated and that can kill them equally as quick. Yeah, Um, sure. So that's really important. Mm. We've got a caller. We've got Ruth from Murray's Beach. Ruth, you've got a question for Dr. Kimberly Earle. I have, thank you. I've got a five and a half year old Cavalier King Charles who's um, putting on a little bit of weight, just looking a little bit chubby. Yeah. 
and I, and I guess I have to re- reduce her food. Yeah. She, she's quite active and happy and healthy. But I also want advice about um, how to, what, what's the best diet for her. Sure, okay. And Ruth, I'll just get you to turn your radio down yeah. while Kimberly talks to yeah, you. Thanks. Good yeah, idea. sure. So, I mean, dogs who get overweight, it's always a matter of the energy that they're taking in is not as much as the energy they're t- putting out. So, even mm-hmm. if she's an active little dog, she's still taking on too many calories. So, your mm-hmm. options in that instance would be to re- portion control her, so reduce the volume that she has, or mm-hmm. you could look at calorie controlling her by changing her food variety from whatever it is now so that's assuming you're on a um, you know a commercial dog food um, changing it to a light or a diet um, variety where you may not have to change the volume much but the calorie density of each individual food portion and kibble um, is lower so there's a few different options that way um, we often talk to people about spreading the meals out so lots of people still feed their dogs just once a day and they feed them a, a supper time meal um, that means that the dogs are eating and then going to bed and sleeping on it and all those calories they've just taken in are just going to go and be stored on the body so separating them into twice uh, twice a day feeding so that they're getting a slightly bigger meal in the morning and a smaller meal at night that gives them the opportunity um, to burn off those calories through the day and you wouldn't double the amount of food you would just take the amount of food you're giving of, a, of an evening and separate it um, and often adding um, so low calorie vegetables or some wet food if your dog's used to eating wet food wet food actually has more water content to it than dry food what, does. What do you mean by wet food? Like a tinned food, tinned variety food, mm. something like that. It's got See, a lot more I'm, water content. I'm getting the feeling that all these um, processed foods aren't really that good. They're full of lots of mm. unnecessary things and I'd really yeah. like to feed her a more natural diet. Sure. Listen, commercial foods are actually very healthy for dogs and there's lots of science and research that has gone into them to make sure they're balanced. We do see dogs who are fed home-cooked natural diets that tend to um, come with some deficiencies. It can be very hard to balance them. Really? Lots of people still do it um, and, and lots of dogs do very well on it um, but not all sort of foods are, are created equal. So it is a bit of a challenging thing to to do. I think there's no harm ever in giving your dog um, you know, vegetables and things like that. If you want to give them cooked or raw vegetables that's always going to be a good thing. But I certainly my recommendation would still be um, you know, to feed a, a good portion of the diet as a commercial, well-balanced, nutritious diet. And there's lots of fad um, boutique foods on the market these days. We're just starting to hear, um, you know, there's reports of dogs with heart failure due to grain-free foods because they're missing out on taurine and things like that, which um, our commercial foods have been supplemented with for years. So there's this real boutique uh, thing at the moment about feeding grain-free to dogs, but that's actually, in 99% of cases, totally unnecessary. And now we're starting to see an increase in heart disease due to taurine deficiency in dogs that are on grain-free diet. So it's not necessarily better to feed completely natural but there's lots of options available. So just watch your calories com- compared to what her activity is. Thanks for your call, Ruth. And I think we have time to very quickly answer one more question. Uh, Cheryl from Fennel Bay, you've got a dog with smelly ears. <laughs> yeah, I've got Rosie. She's a two-year-old King Charles Cavalier. Yep. And um, her ears smell inside the canal, okay. um, which obviously when you're rubbing her and patting her, sure. gets on your hand. Yeah. I've tried coconut oil um, on a little white thing and just wiped around sure. her ears 
Yeah. And, and also near topic. Okay. So I would always say in that instance, we really need to probably go and have a look at a veterinarian. If you've tried a few things and it's not improved, um, one of our main culprits down ears for infection is yeast, and yeast make a really smelly ear canal. And unfortunately, you putting coconut oil is only going to make those yeast happier and make them bloom more. So um, get into your veterinarian and, and have some ear cytology done so we can see if we're dealing with an infection of yeast or bacteria in there, and your vet will be able to prescribe an appropriate antibiotic or antifungal ointment to go down into those ears because unfortunately a lot of our home remedies don't actually help very much and just um, make the organisms grow more rapidly. Oh, good stuff. Dr. Kimberly. Mm. oh, we're out of time. Can you believe it? The calls no, came, the right, calls at came the right at the end. That's yeah. okay. Look, if we didn't get to you, make sure you call uh, nice and early next week. That will ensure that we can answer all of your questions.